Welcome to the Share Life Podcast with Jason Scott Montoya, where we explore stories and systems to live better and work smarter. Welcome to another Inspirational People episode. Today, I'm here with JP Worland. JP, say hello. Hello. <laughs> Uh, JP is the CEO and co-founder of Pipeline, a cloud-based CRM system for building client relationships, growing sales pipelines, shortening sales cycles, and increasing business revenue. JP is also a husband, dad, you have two boys, I believe, right? Correct. Yeah. And you're an intentional builder of teams. Um, you co-founded your company in 2006. Within a few years after launching, I stumbled across your, your, uh, your system and it was pipeline deals at the time. And I became a fan and vocal ambassador of your CRM system during my Noodlehead marketing years. And I was always impressed with your ability to anticipate your customers' needs and proactively develop the system to address those needs. So today um, we'll explore that entrepreneurial journey and how you work smarter and live better. But before we do that, let's jump into your backstory. Tell me about you, um, how you got to when you were born to today and how that intersected with your, uh, your software company and that you've sustained for the last 15 years. Sure. Yeah. yeah. That's a convoluted story, but happy to share. Thanks for having me. And always yeah. thank you for the pipeline. Uh, you found us early and, um, it was just fun to, to know you then and know you now. So yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I think all in all, um, you know, my life's been characterized by family, the outdoors, a sense of adventure, um, and a, a proclivity or a, a, at least a strong desire to do the right thing. Um, you know, nothing special on the background. You know, my dad was in the outdoor industry. My mom was a teacher, a preschool teacher. She was mm -hmm. my teacher. Um, she instilled with me a love of play. Uh, okay. she, wrote, she wrote the book Play Power. Um, yeah. Okay. So she's an author. <laughs> yeah, she's an author. Yeah. Uh, but now is really into early childhood development, brain development, and speaks speaks around the world on that. Um, but, you know, just a very humble, largely outdoor childhood. Um, and, you know, growing up in, in the wilds of California, Northern California, East Bay. And, you know, no one talked to me about college. Um, always had a proclivity to work. I started a paper out in fourth grade uh, yeah. for eight years, uh, you know, worked it all the way through uh, my senior year in high school. Mm -hmm. And, and what, what drove you to do that was like, I want stuff and I need to pay for that. So let me get a job or was there something else driving you? You know, I've reflected on that, <laughs> not really chasing money, although, you know, that helps life, right? Yeah. It's just a factor of life. Um, just always, always been doing things. I don't, I don't really have, I can't remember, like I was saving up for this car or this bike <laughs> or, you know, this thing. Um, I think I, I, you know, remember taking experiences or trips in, in high school, whether it's yeah. Santa Cruz to jump in the surf or camping in the mountains. But um, yeah, it's just, I've always had a desire to, be an entrepreneur sort of, I think it comes down to a trait of mine that I've found over the years is just living by design and not by default. And I felt mm -hmm. money gave me the ability to 
be more design minded and how my life went. Yeah. Um, but what, what, but yeah, what, I mean, most people live by default, right. Um, or a lot of people do. And so what, what made you think to even consider an alternative like that? I think it's just an independent spirit. I don't like, um, it might be a fallacy. I don't like thinking other <laughs> people control you. I don't know mm. where in my childhood, you know, not to get too much on, on the sofa or the, the like, <laughs> ouch a little bit, but I don't know if it was parental divorce, uh, mm. or what, but, um, and really, uh, you know, it was very amicable. There was, it was like, just kind of done out yeah. of sight. It was very, um, amicable experience. I've, I've seen, you know, mm -hmm. obviously horror stories with children and divorces, but that was really kind of seamless in my childhood. But I think just having a sense of ability to design where I want to go. And I, it really comes to an innate sense of where your locus of control is. Yeah. Your ethos or your, how you're wired, right? Do you happen to the world or does the world happen to you? Mm -hmm. And um, my locus of control is very, very much internal, maybe a little bit too much. Yeah. Um, and I think that's been a guiding force in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, we, we, we tend to give ourselves, we give ourselves a lot of headache by, by focusing on things we can't control when we can focus on those things we can. So how did that intersect with actually like, uh, with pipeline? Did, had you done some entrepreneurial things before that, or was that your, your main, your main yeah, course there? Number, number of failed businesses before pipeline anywhere yeah. from, Oh, little chicken scratch ventures selling, you know, chums eyeglass holders as an independent sales rep in okay. college to a private investigator in college. Um, tried working for a few places. I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. So I went to work in a law firm, discovered yeah. a poor law school that I didn't want to be a lawyer. <laughs> well, that's a good time to figure it out. <laughs> um, started a, a business in Salt Lake City, um, Jones and Stone, selling precious, semi-precious stones or beads. Yeah. Uh, that blew up. Um, yeah. So a whole bunch of different ones over the years. I had Bargain Betty with actually okay. my current partner, Nick, who we'll get into a little bit. Um, Bargain Betty was an affiliate coupon site, right? Okay. That had one sale of note. Um but it opened some doors for us. So have, have always had a, an, and I, I studied business in school. I applied to one college. I didn't know about college. No one talked to me about college. And I just applied on a whim to a school. Uh, a mentor of mine talked about, hey, everything's a business. I thought I wanted to be a police officer actually in high school. Okay. And I, I used to hang out at the, I worked at the police department as a cadet shredding okay. paper yeah. for, the, for the records department, right? Yeah. Um, they'll use paper. Um, and, uh, I was on a ride along with an officer. I remember Tim Runyon and I could tell you right in Concord, California, where we all were on one <laughs> Boulevard at, um, a to go's sandwich shop. And I said, uh, he's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to major? And I said, I don't know, probably criminal justice. You know, I want to be a cop. And he's like, you know, I said, my favorite question when I was a kid, you know, was asking people my age now right, with the gray beards. Uh, 
if you had to do it over again, what would you do differently? Mm -hmm. And I was, I don't know where I got this question from in high school, but I was running around kind of crazily just asking any adult who'd give me the time of day that question. And Tim sat there, he was driving the squad car and he sat there for a sec and uh, thought about it for a minute. He says, you know, everything's a business, even a police department. Yeah. I think I think I would get a business degree. Hmm. And I was like, okay, done. Like that was, that was the, ex- <laughs> that's what you needed. <laughs> the decision process. And, you know, thanks to, I don't even know, I should probably write Tim a note. I don't know where he is or. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> retired but uh that question and answer randomly in a squad car on monument boulevard in concord california set me on my way and just opened me up to a whole new universe and then you know started started down the business path yeah yeah that's interesting because you know i i shut down my marketing company in 2014 but uh a year before that and a, and 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 then it it was about a seven year journey. And then about halfway through that journey, I asked myself a similar question. Like if I were to do things over again, and the first time I asked, if I were to start a marketing company from scratch, how would I do it differently? And out of them three years in. And so we restructured the business. And then when we did that, then we kind of created the type of business we wanted. Then I, then I asked myself a question again, which is if I were to start over vocationally, would I even choose to do a marketing agency? Uh-huh. And the answer was no. So um, that was part of why I ended up shutting it down. But um, but yeah, that's, that's funny that you had that question because I think there's so much insight into that. And I think, um, I mean, what would you say to someone who, who is perhaps in that role, they're doing something that's not the thing that they would, or would choose if they were to choose over again, what would you tell them? Um, to not give up on chasing what it is you want to chase. Right. I think a lot of times the perceived level of effort to make a change uh, might seem overwhelming or greater than it actually is in, in making switches, um, yeah. intelligent switches. And, uh, you know, I think there's, especially in today's environment with how distributed everything is, mm-hmm. um, non-geographically centric uh, businesses are, yeah. uh, there are honest and good ways to make career switches as you, you know, think of it as two ramps, right? Yeah. And on, on the X axis is obviously time and on the Y axis would be, you know, focus or in, uh, involvement. And think of, you know, two lines, one, you know, a negative slope and one a positive slope. Yeah. And the negative slope starting at 100% of your times, your current endeavor, whether you're working for somebody else or your own yeah. gig, and you know how do you ramp that down intelligently over time and ramp up um, from zero the thing you want to be doing and yeah. you know, pipeline we call that working two jobs mm. and that's what we did to start the company Nick and I both for a while um, it takes discipline it takes hard work and it takes you know a support system of some sort right I had a fortunate to have a, a wonderful supportive wife and. Um, I think if anyone finds themselves in that conundrum, can you design those two slopes? And of course, the great <laughs> off point is that intersection, right? Yeah. Where they cross. And the that, current- that's the that's the scene in Indiana Jones where he's switching the statue for the sandbag, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're hoping the poison darts and the 
the so bowl, I, the ball, does it, the boulder? And it might, and it might. <laughs> but I think the question that, to ask yourself is what's the worst case? That, what's the worst thing yeah. that can happen here? And, you know, what if I'm a failure? What if I go bankrupt? Like all those things um, can play into your mind there. But I think we, you know, human tendency is to sort of uh, overestimate your fears and underestimate your mm-hmm. potential. Well, and, and part of that is, you know, even if you did fail or even if you did have to go bankrupt, in the larger scheme of things, those aren't all that tragic. I mean, compared to a lot of other tragedies that we often face in life, you know, death of loved ones, for example. So it's actually yeah. a pretty safe failure, right? <laughs> At least in America. <laughs> and um, I think putting the failure in perspective, I've, I've you know, I've very much tried to live by the rocking chair perspective and okay. you know, when, when faced with those decisions and, you know, I think, um, you know, when facing decisions, you know, there's definitely two questions you need to ask yourself. And I think, um, Bezos put these the best is, you know, um, you know, is the decision reversible? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or, or, you know, uh, irreversible on the other side of the, the same token. Yeah. Um, and then number two are how high are the stakes? Mm. Right? And so it's a very simple matrix. And if, if it's decisions reversible and the stakes are low, no brainer, right? Just do Just, it. Yeah. If it's, you know, if it's any combination of the two, maybe give it some thought. And then if it's irreversible and high stakes, that's the, deci- that's the time you, take all the time you need to make procrastinate that decision as long as you can. (laughs) That's not as long as, and that's where procrastination can be your friend, right? Yeah. Let some things happen. You let some other things fall into place. Um, and yeah, maybe even procrastinate a little bit on the decision. Yeah. Yeah. Go from there. But so when faced with those decisions, um, you know, um, you can you can find a way, I believe, and again, this goes back to locus of where 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 is your locus of control? You know, I believe there's always a way to design yourself out of that paper bag, right? There's mm-hmm. very rarely the people we run into in our professional lives, thankfully, are like in super dire consequences, right? We're not, you know, fleeing a ruthless dictator across the Mediterranean and using mm-hmm. water bottles as flotation devices, right? Like yeah. that's going down in the world, excuse my language, but that, that stuff's going down in the world today. Those, yeah. That's, that's mm-hmm. real. I think the stuff we deal with maybe is a little more cerebral. It doesn't make it less, less impactful to our lives for us, but it just, and I think that's one of the, the benefits of the pandemic for those who got through it relatively intact is it helps put things in perspective and it helps you also mm-hmm. feel empathy for others and also understanding that your situation may not be that bad. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. I I guess how does, um, how does that intersect with, so you mentioned Nick and he was your co-founder and it sounds like a lot of what you were doing was very different than a CRM sales system. So how, how does your business degree, Nick, and starting this company, how does that all come together? I don't know if it does, like it did, right? (laughs) It all comes together, uh, I would say through e-commerce, right? I think Mm -hmm. that's where I grew up professionally, if you will. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, I went to Sac State, the only college I applied to, took a victory lap there, five years to get out of there. Um, I ended up serving as the student body president um, my fifth year. And so just kind of took a half load the last two years. And I got a lot of exposure there. And I think that's great for college, college students these days because that was at the time, I don't know what the Associated Students at Sac State is now, but at the time was a $4 million nonprofit. And we ran mm -hmm. like an aquatic center and a childcare yeah. center, yeah. <laughs> an outdoor adventure store. And so, I mean, where else do you, I was VP of finance and then the president and you had the executive director who was kind of the adult in the room. Yeah. And we had an amazing one, Carol, she was an early mentor of mine. And, um, <laughs> But where else do you get the keys to a $4 million corporation when you're 21? Like it yeah. was, and I mean, you had staff, you had hiring, you had firing, you had budgets, um, you had student clubs and organizations applying for funds. You had a board of directors, Robert's rule of order. And it was just a great safe place to learn business. Mm. I think that set me up, Sac State set me up to uh, get out into the real world um, and I've been talking a lot to high school students actually lately, Jason, and they yeah. ask a similar, a similar question is like, how did you get where you get or where you, where you are today? And it, the key, key element was curiosity and really valuing new things. It helps. I'm kind of a, a not kind of, I am a nerd, like a geek, whatever. <laughs> like technology term. wise or elsewhere or elsewhere. Yeah, Technology wise. And, I've all, I love, I just am enamored with technology. Um, you know, so where did maybe, you meet Nick then? Was he in the tech space? He was in the tech space. And so okay. we both found our way into e-commerce. And the reason why I bring up curiosity is because I knew in 94, when I saw my first Netscape or maybe 93 Netscape Navigator browser that the world had just changed. I don't know. I couldn't predict all that's happened, right? I don't think anyone can since yeah. 1993 or whenever you saw your first browser, but that just triggered a sense of curiosity. And I knew the world has changed. And I've seen this a few times, right? Pattern recognition over the years when my wife held her first iPhone or my friend got their first Tesla. Like there's certain times in life where you're like, wow, that this is, this is now changed. <laughs> yeah. Something has shifted. Yeah. And so I saw that early on with the internet and e-commerce. Um, and I just married two areas of intense curiosity out of school. And mm -hmm. this was after a year, I took a year, kind of a gap year after college with Christine, my wife, Christine, and we traveled for a year and we got back. I came in on a boat from through the Panama canal from Key West, Florida. I was working as a deckhand and um you know sanding and paint and, you know tending to the engines and uh we arrived in seattle and in 1999 and i was just enamored by e-commerce and the outdoors so i went and found mm -hmm. an e-commerce shop here in seattle at the time 49 percent owned by amazon ironic <laughs> um was gear.com gear.com you know blew up in the bubble I had to let go of my friends, a lot of tears, a lot mm -hmm. like just letting 10, like got up maybe to 80 people. And I was one of the last five Wow. old with the company to overstock.com. Okay. And that was really continuing my e-commerce. And then 
got recruited out of Overstock to a company back east in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, uh, recently gone public called GSI Commerce, okay. uh, started by Michael Rubin. And then he obviously built that up and sold to eBay. But I lasted there less than a year um, and then went out on my own. Um, and that's when I met. Nick interviewed me at GSI Commerce when I moved from... Okay overstock in utah to gsi in pennsylvania and again confluence of two curiosities internet and outdoors slash sporting goods yeah so so at the time in 2006 um if i remember right there um i remember there was salesforce i had switched to high rise from high rise um to your system what was the space like in the crm world was, was that an opportunity area that you thought you could tap into was it pretty crowded or no it was it was a space everyone said was done in 2005 <laughs> and they said salesforce owns it what are you thinking um, yeah why would you start a crm now um we were running an agency kind of like noodlehead nick and i were called downtown yeah. e-commerce and service businesses are hard like people who can scale uh build and scale services businesses like marketing agencies i have the highest <laughs> it's uh, intense it is intense and we loved it we had major clients um in the internet retailer top 500 sort of level super boutique super white glove like mm -hmm. high 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 touch wasn't very scalable but worked with some amazing people like i think mm -hmm. at our most we were six people agency six person agency and yeah we've gone on to see where they are now and they're you know, <laughs> very senior level people. Some of them still in e-commerce actually. Yeah. Um, and you, you got to a point, um, with the agency where it does, you wanted to build a product. I think that's a natural, I've seen that with my friends, um, yeah. around the business world is they start in a service world and they tend towards a product, right? Mm -hmm. SaaS and the barriers entry coming down. So we, we looked at two, I, I'll have to show you the design sometime. <laughs> did them and they're they're so funny, but uh, we ended up looking at bug tracking software and CRM. Mm. And another mentor of mine, Heidi, um, who built and sold an affiliate marketing company in New York, I was kind of kicking around this idea with her one day in Manhattan. She was kind enough to give me some time. She was growing her business. And I asked her about CRM and she said, you know, JP, my customer list is my gold. And if you're building the vault for my gold, I would say that's a good business mm. and uh, highest regard for Heidi um, and what she's done over the years. And I was like, okay, done. We're, I, I called. <laughs> you got another signal. <laughs> And Heidi was the signal through the noise and it was a no brainer to CRM. But again, people thought we were crazy. Yeah. But were, had you or Nick done sales? Had either of you been in sales before? Well, I believe everyone's always in sales. Um, I've been in marketing supply to sales person. I was in sales early days going door to door selling newspaper. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so. um, but I guess what I meant is like, had you been in, in a role where you, you used a CRM was, and were just frustrated? Or well, was it? yes, yeah. Nick, Nick had done a Salesforce, I believe it was a Salesforce implementation when he was at a consulting shop. Yeah. That was a nightmare, right? Mm. 
percent of CRM installations fail. Total cost of ownership is through the roof. Um, but more more specifically to our small little marketing agency, is we were running a sales pipeline on a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Okay. With, you know, I had the good fortune to meet with Microsoft a while back, and I said, I asked them, I said, who do you who do you think has the biggest CRM in the, in the world? Like, well, Salesforce, of course. Of course, they're proud of Dynamics and didn't want to say Salesforce. They kind of whispered it under their breath. I said, actually, you're wrong. The biggest <laughs> CRM in the world is Microsoft Excel. Hmm. I'm still today, you know, 15 years into the life of Pipeline, Salesforce has been around 20 plus years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the biggest CRM in the world is still Microsoft Excel or now Google Sheet, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I think that was a key realization is I ended up kind of nerding out and I still do like I'll still (laughs) other businesses or whatever, but business software solutions that are currently being solved by spreadsheets are super compelling to me. Uh, And that's just another sort of signal that I use when looking at businesses or thinking through business ideas. If, If it's, you could find a better way to solve it than a spreadsheet. And they're getting powerful. I think Smartsheet um, here yeah. in Seattle, who recently went public, um, is built on this premise, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Google Sheets lives on this premise, but spreadsheets are super powerful and sticky. And I'm I'm still, even after 15 years, a little bit enamored with the potential here. I don't think they're mm-hmm. fully used, but that's what we saw with Pipeline when we started it. And it was solving a problem in our marketing agency, downtown e-commerce, the spreadsheet broke, right? Uh, okay. More than two people working the sales process, deals were falling through the cracks. We looked around for an SMB, small, medium-sized business solution, or even sole proprietor solution. And um, there was nothing, man, nothing. Yeah. So our timing was good, but I think our willingness to take VC and sort of supersize the idea was, was not in us for this venture. Yeah. Um, you wanted to bootstrap it from the beginning. Yeah, we chose a different path. Now, yeah. fast forward, knowing what I know now, should we have probably taken the 200 million and yada, 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 different story. You know, Pipedrive came after us, Copper, Insightly, you know, all the people we compete with, um, they're all sort of, um, you know, followed in after us. And, you know, I think those three alone collectively raised over 200 million of these. Mm, yeah. We didn't do that. Yeah. And did that allow you to learn things by growing organically that you may have missed with? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I talk about pipeline is, um, I think it's, uh, it's a story about a newer business model with sort of a value creation thesis at its core. Okay. Um, isn't a scale or built to flip thing. Um, this is really a value centric ethos in this business that Nick and I started with and still have to this day. But I think in other words, we're operating what some would call an old fashioned company <laughs> in a modern tech business delivery model. Um, and I think that's still true to our ESO ethos. Like, we look more longer term. We had a long conversation today at our leadership team meeting around how we can 
look even longer term on our customer relationships and how can we um, use that to, for the benefit of our customers and our business, right? Mm -hmm. I like symbiotic relationships um, where things aren't divergent. I don't, you know, yeah. Um, we're just running business a different way and that comes at a price, right? You have to, I historically have had to take a, I feel a little bit of a discount because we don't have the $80 million of capital in, which mm -hmm. that's totally cool. Like this is the path we yeah. chose. I wouldn't but trade. it also seems like there's always a trade-off for that $80 million they're getting. There's there's something or someone that's that's lost later on that when you get to that later on, you're going to have the advantage. Is that something you would anticipate? I, I would say we're still around. Um, yeah. And, you know, if you research the pipeline, pipeline deals story, you'll see about six years ago, we did take on a group of angels or a series mm -hmm. A and we're headed down this path. Um, and we just unwound all that. We're back to a hundred percent employee owned. Mm -hmm. you know, we looked at some, some leaders who, you know, bought back, uh, from their investors. Um, and we did the same. And yeah, well, um, well tell me more about the employee owned because, um, I think for, as a, as a consumer, as a customer, I, I've been, um, I've used companies that they get acquired and then they change. 100%. And I feel like I lose in that situation because I now have to go and find something else that did what I originally went to this company for. And now they're no longer that. It, it, is that a part of it or is that separate? No, I, I think maybe subconsciously or maybe not so subconsciously. I think it just rubs me the wrong way as a user too. And um, I think that's why we've been in business and Nick and I are still involved as day-to-day -day operators of the business and we haven't sold. Um, and not to say we never will. Right. But mm -hmm. you know, I, I have the same sentiment, like growing up professionally, growing up last, you know, really 20 years uh, in, in the tech field, you know, all, all web enabled businesses that, I can't tell you how many apps I've fallen in love with. They get sold to Google was the <laughs> shutter downer yeah. up until a buyer acquirer and shutter downer. Um, that's an official term, uh, <laughs> you know, um, up until about 2010, 2012, right? Like it would just be like, Oh crap, Google bought another app and now they're sunsetting it and I got to get mm. all my data out or I lose the utility of that service. And, no good on the guy. Like I, I don't place any animosity or ill will yeah. towards the business people who build and flip and find a value play or a, a find a, a a seam and exploit the heck out of it and sell it and walk away. I do. I think it's a poor user experience. One hundred percent. Like yeah. Um, you could argue. Uh, I, I think I'm just close to my customers. I care about. Mm right this goes back to being you know the keeper of their gold and it's just you know we we have a small population of 2500 or 3000 businesses depending if you count trials or not etc but using pipeline and i i just feel a strong sense of an obligation to them. Mm -hmm. um, people approach us to buy us um and it's just not something we've prioritized really in the business yeah. So how do you, uh, you know, speaking of the customer, how, how do you anticipate, like when I, like I said, when you, when I worked with you, I, I felt like 
I'd be using your system and then I'd be like, man, it'd be cool if pipeline did this. And then like the next update, it had it. And I never told you that. So how are you, how are you staying up to date with your customers needs in such an effective way? Yeah, I think I've thought a lot about that is how does a business stay close to their customer? Right. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think Tony Shea at Zappos was sort of the first business thinker. Um, really sorry about his passing last year, but um, was the first business thinker I saw to truly invert the pyramid with the customer. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was revolutionary. And frankly, it still is revolutionary. And it, for those of you who don't know, you know, Tony took the view that customer care, customer service was a marketing expense. Mm -hmm and not a cost center. And I think mm. that was a stroke of genius. Um, yeah. I remember at Overstock, like, man, what a chop shop that, that on the customer side that was because it was like contacts per order, what minute they were tracking, like typical, and a, not like many, many, many call centers still do this today. Yeah. And out, people outsource their customer service. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm like, no, like, is this really the best, like, voice-aided response systems. You will never find them at Pipeline. We pick up with a human. We're never gonna outsource our customer service, right? Like thinking of taking care of your customer as a marketing expense, having the ability to build a relationship with your customer. Why yeah. would you outsource that? Why would you minimize that? Why would you say, I wanna limit our contacts per order? I mm -hmm. want to minimize the time each of my reps spend on the phone with a customer. Like, are you yeah. kidding? Like, why are you in business? And so <laughs> this is where I get sort of a little bit overly passionate maybe about the customer relationship. But again, that initial glimmer or lesson was from Tony and, mm -hmm. and Zappos's view of e-commerce and growing yeah. up in e-commerce and seeing him sell to Amazon um, really opened my eyes as to thinking of customer service as a marketing expense. And, and also Mike McDermott was an early conversation we had. Nick and I met, he was in New York. He was building FreshBooks, okay, uh, yeah. you know, for up in Canada, doing amazing work up there. And he was an early, early SaaS CEO. And he was kind enough to take a breakfast meeting with us in, uh, up in New York. Um, I believe near Union Square, actually, there on the west side of Union Square. But I can still remember the corner. Uh, and we showed them the website and we're all excited. And, you know, I think a, a thing, a tendency many small businesses have is to act bigger than they are because they're yeah. afraid of being found out or something and <laughs> like Amazon and Google. And we fell into that trap too. And we showed Mike our homepage. The first thing he goes, where's your phone number? What do you mean? It's on our contact us page. Don't you want to talk to your customers? <laughs> like, well, yeah, we want to talk to our customers. We'll put your phone number on your homepage, dummies. And so <laughs> top of center. You'll see today, you know, 8668, uh, you know, 8703. I'm forgetting it today. But uh, <laughs> that number is still front and center on our homepage, right? Um, yeah. And that's just which, how, which is which is the opposite of how a lot of these e-commerce companies are. Is you have to like hunt to get a phone number if you can even get one. 
Yeah, and look, you can't fault Amazon. Like they've done it at scale, but the phone number is still super buried. Um, yeah, I think okay, we're not all Amazons. <laughs> yeah, as much as we they, might, they have something to offer that's different. <laughs> yeah, and like they put the customer center. I, I, they've figured that out how to do it at scale fairly well, obviously. Um, but I think there's definite seams of opportunity for especially in the SMB world, which is a little bit different than B2C, right? B2B versus B2C. Um, in the B2B world, uh, I think there's still opportunity to improve service levels. Like yeah. um, people say, oh, what's your secret sauce at Pipeline? I'm like, you know, especially outsiders or people trying to value the business and, you know, they want some IP or patent or I'm like, it's not, <laughs> I'll tell you what it is, but I'm kind of embarrassed and it's, <laughs> So basic, right? <laughs> oh, to me, it's business one-on-one, man. Like, you know, value your customer, talk to them, make yourself available. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so I think service can still be a differentiator in today's market. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, uh, you, you're a, a, an intentional builder of teams. You mentioned some people that have mentored you and you mentioned speaking to the, the students what is the importance of mentoring? What, what does it mean to you? How do you live it out? How does it help you? Sure. Um, a, it's super important. You know, I've shared a few mentor stories, Officer Runyon, Carol, Heidi, a um, lot of influences over the years, local guy, Joe, um, you know, um, and I think my time, I also, um, spend time working with other entrepreneurs through the entrepreneurs organization. Um, and that's sort of a peer to peer group of CEOs. Yeah. Uh, that's super fundamental. Um, and I think you, you know, mentorship can occur also peer to peer. It doesn't have to be like, yeah, your junior sort of roles. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> Got a barker. <laughs> that's Hobbs. Um, <laughs> But he, mentorship for me is about giving back, about servant leadership, about um, finding a way to really share, just experience share, right? I don't, not advice giving or shooting on people, you should do this, like taking yeah. no aid in the advice giving, hmm. uh, but conceptually uh, mentorship just lines up with my personal mantra of leaving this place better than I found it. Yeah. Um, and so I put that into action. How do I leave this place better? And I found it as I put it into action in many, many ways. Uh, and you know, it's also reciprocal, right? I think with mentorship, um, it's important it, to me. I find it great if people ask, you know, um, and make it clear that they're looking for, advice and they're making themselves vulnerable and putting themselves out there. Um, cause then I know, okay, that person's receptive and willing. Yeah. So also mentorships, a little bit of a dance to find people who really are truly committed to learning and aren't just networking. Mm -hmm. Um, I yeah. What's real. Them. Yeah. Um, but it's about leaving this place better when we found it. I, you know, I believe, you know, ancient civilizations really valued the elder in their society and in their community. And I do too, right? Yeah. I still have a lot to learn. I think 
um, I definitely subscribe to sort of that beginner's mind. Um, mm -hmm. And I think if I can help other people on their beginner's mind journey just earlier on, yeah. uh, I, I owe it to the universe to do that. Yeah. So when you think about narratives and stories and how they shape us and, and direct us, and you've shared some of them, like what are, what are some that have really shaped you as a person? Yeah. Funny. If I was in my office, you'd see over my shoulder, my wife painted for me the most influential story that I've reflected along a lot on this past year is the story of Ernest Shackleton. Okay. Uh, and I've, I've not heard of it through the endurance. So, okay. You know, early 1900s, um, right around world war one, um, Ernest Shackleton from England leads a expedition to Antarctica. Mm. And he'd been there a couple of times, interesting guy. Um, and this is all encapsulated much, <laughs> much better than I can ever tell. Uh, and I won't, I won't give away the story, but Ern, uh, Captain Shackleton, well now Sir Shackleton, uh, finds his ship trapped in ice and a crew of men uh, with diminishing resources and all, everything that can go wrong goes wrong. And um, it's a story of endurance and perseverance. And yeah. That, that really resonates with me. Um, but there's also, I, I take a lot, I like the realness of these stories. I like um, obviously the leadership um, elements to them. How do you lead? I forget the size of the crew, call it 20 men on the endurance. You know, how do you lead 20 men with all these different personalities? What, what does he do to see them through their darkest days? You mm -hmm. know, how does he behave? Um, what does he prioritize? How does he, what is his demeanor? How does he yeah. control himself? But other stories, um, Rachel Carson is an amazing story. Uh, Slava Mayer, uh, I'm going to say his name wrong. I've only read it, so I don't know how to <laughs> Yeah. Uh, he, you know, escaped a prison camp and walked across the entire continent of Asia. Wow. Uh, obviously, Lincoln's a great story. Um, but also fictional stories. Uh, again, this will give away a little bit uh, about me, but locus of control. But like East of Eden, I find is a great story as well. That is mm -hmm. very still speaks to me and is insightful unbroken into thin air, like all those stories I find mm. interesting against all odds, um, type of, yeah. have you seen, ha, yeah. Have you seen gravity or the revenant? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. Everything that could go wrong goes wrong. <laughs> yeah. Or Shaw they overcome reflect Shawshank redemption. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, story of William Wallace. I visited his museum up in, in Scotland. Like, like that's a real dude, right? It's not crazy Mel Gibson with the blue face paint, but yeah. like this guy There's was a real story behind there. Yeah. And yeah. with all their failings too, right? Like they were human. They weren't, they're not to be idolized. I don't think, I think they're to be learned from in, in their full humanity mm -hmm. and also in the context of their time. Um, yeah, I, I, I love those stories. So, you know, I could, I'm just kind of nerded out onto that genre. So, yeah. So how does that intersect with, you know, your work and your personal, and you mentioned, you know, the outdoors 
I mean, how do you harmonize or unify or balance those different facets of your, of yourself? Lately, I don't know that I do. I guess I would start. I definitely don't have the magic formula. Um, for me lately, it's been, been slowing down, um, mm -hmm. more, more time thinking and less time doing. I think if you've grown up, uh, and again, I use that term kind of colloquially, but I grown up professionally or evolved yeah. maturing. Yeah. Uh, in, but in a, from a, oh, I guess personal context, but in a professional context, like how do you measure what a productive day is? Right. Like very early on in your career, you're a specialist, right? And we, we, I don't know if we've all seen that chart, but start out very specialized hundred percent of your time. And as you move and progress through the, your career, um, and it doesn't have to be sequentially or linearly. You could, yeah. there's functions in there and there's massive leaps and there's, there's also setbacks mm -hmm. but as, as you navigate that path. Um, we generally tend to become less specialized and more generalized and, you know, responding to email, um, isn't necessarily, you know, your biggest value add. And so yeah. I've been really fascinated on um a slowing down spending time thinking about those activities i do or the work that i do that is compounding in mm. its and so i mean compounding i don't you know coming from the a finance degree at least i never worked in finance <laughs> specifically like i didn't get my series six or seven or any of that stuff but we hear compounding but i think a lot of great thinkers lately have been applying and recognizing that compounding applies to many aspects of life mm -hmm. uh, from knowledge to relationships also of course to investing in money right yeah um, and i also believe you know you know processes or things we do in business have a compounding effect over time and i think one of my biggest mistakes over the last 15 years was being too much in a rush to do things instead of slowing down and being more intentional and thoughtful on installing processes that will compound and accrue yeah. accrue to me or accrue to the business beneficially over time. So I've been thinking yeah. a lot about that um, for sure. I yeah, because it's like if you're going to choose to do two things, you know, the compounding is just going to be, it may have a, a less of a shorter term impact, but in the long term, you're going to be winning multiple factors. Yeah. And it, it just makes you, it's kind of like a ski boat getting up on top of the water, mm -hmm. right? Like if you're always working, responding to email and, you know, just doing all the to do's and not setting time apart to think and yeah. plan. Um, and again, the plan's not the, the prime yeah. result planning that's the, the true meat of that you can't really get the boat up on top of the water and get speed and start you yeah. know, just the drag it's, it's that mm. heavy back end just an anchor and so hiding it instead of using leveraging it for a benefit yeah 100%. and i just i just yeah. wish i realized that earlier right and it's it's a trap like mm. admiral akbar in star wars it's a, <laughs> it's a trap now how did the pandemic the crisis of that did that play a role in that revelation or is that um related 
it's related. Um, I think the pandemic gave me an opportunity to help others, um, both at Pipeline. And I happened to accept being the chapter president of EO Seattle, which is just um, 177 entrepreneurs, part of a global organization of 15,000 entrepreneurs. Yeah. And I've been there since 2012. Um, super impactful in my life and, you know, mm-hmm. leaders leading leaders. It's a whole nother leadership dynamic is how do you lead uh, 10 other or 177 other CEOs just like yourself? Like <laughs> cats, but I heard my friend Andrea, she called it herding <laughs> tigers. Um, and so mm-hmm. I, I said yes to that role as a volunteer. It's a nonprofit, I don't know, two years ago. Mm-hmm. Little did I know I was signing up for pandemic year. And so- oh, wow. What we did is completely reinvented the chapter this year. Um, and you don't know, I mean, membership's about six grand a year. It's not cheap. I think it's the best, some of the best money I spend every year without a doubt from a personal and business development standpoint. But that, those stories that I shared, whether it's Rachel Carson or Ernest Shackleton, um, those stories, like those, EO gave me purpose this year in navigating all the trials and tribulations that affected the Seattle entrepreneurship community. And tangentially, I mean, those 177 entrepreneurs employ tens of thousands of people in the Seattle region. Um, Some of their businesses went to zero overnight. Wow. Um, You know, my friends in traveling and travel industry and catering, um, others had to completely reinvent themselves from you know, an in-person business to a virtual business. And so this slowing down intentionality, you know, moving relationships out of transactions and into mm-hmm. true relationships, um, I was afforded to do last year with with how it totally changed my life. And yeah. I feel, you know, just it's, I wouldn't wish the pandemic on anybody, right? It's a hundred year storm you never want to live through. Um, but we, we lived through it and it affected people in very, very different ways, but it it gave me a new sense of prioritization. It gave me a chance to go back to some redesigning because I had slipped Mm -hmm. into the fault behaviors, Okay. both with the business and at home, right. On the personal front. And it gave me a chance to to re-architect. So I'm coming out of this and I don't think it's over. I think we're going to be dealing with this for a long time in some degree. Legacy effects. Uh, Yeah. I think, you know, some of the people much smarter than I have, you know, at university of Washington, they just could last, you know, we'll be dealing with this in some form for 30 years. Right. Kind of like, yeah. Um, and so how do we navigate in this new world and what do I add back or what do I do better? Um, and so, you know, one of those is, you know, getting out of transactional relationships, making sure I'm not being transactional, mm-hmm. not just being busy, but being productive, taking time to think. Um, I just, we just, there's so much stimulus in today's world. Like when, when <laughs> low noise. Yeah, it's noise and it's distraction. And are you being creative or are you consuming? Mm-hmm. You know, such a consumer consumption focused world. And, incentivized to consume but when do you create um those are all things i think about. 
yeah and curiosity you're like getting back in touch with my curious what am i curious about because yeah curiosity hasn't stared me wrong over the years it's why yeah. i am um, thankfully along with some very good people over the years but get back in touch with curiosity yeah so when it comes to like systems you've described those some of them you know you've built a system that you sell your business um as a system you know what do you when you think about systems of design or intentionality or structure or teams or software or products you know what what is what are systems to you and how do you think about them and right interesting question um i would think a couple things um very, very broadly, and there's a lot of ways you could go with this question, but very, you know, sort of initially for me, a system has to meet at least the criteria of repeatable and scalable, right? Um, and, you know, whether it's a personal productivity system and my business partner, he's a biohacker, like he's always, you know, tuning his sleep schedule and diet and, He's the only one I know who looks younger every year. We call him the Benjamin Button of Pipeline. <laughs> but uh, Nick Bertolino, um, you know, so, but having a system that repeatable, scalable, measurable, um, yeah. in, in one that is, um, you know, in agile development, you kind of, you have the postmortems. Um, where you go back and say what went right, what went wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think though, if you don't have a system that allows for that, uh, those, those key elements, um, you're just on a hamster wheel. Mm. Um, I think also what I've learned in going back to the, the concept of compounding, um, a good system will help you um, compound your productivity over time. Yeah. Right? And, and maybe it's, I don't want to be too obsessed with being productive because I don't think all growth is necessarily good. And I don't want to get too far down the yeah. you know, road on, you know, capitalism versus conscious capitalism, which I think is a major issue, but definitely out of the realm for this discussion. But I, it's not too much about um, compounding just to be productive. It's compounding so you can be a a better influence gives you the time to be a better influence or a better contributor to the world. I think mm -hmm. that to me is, is the net, you know, and whether you're like, like you're doing these days, sharing ideas and that's contributing to the betterment of the world yeah. or, or building software that helps someone be more effective in their business, selling, yeah, selling, um, 3M gloves, whatever it is. Um, I, I, I systems that, meet those criteria i think um and like look there's there's system thinkers much much better articulation than i am but that's how i think about yeah. it so well when when does a system become tyrannical um when it's not evaluated and it's not criticized on its own i think when people you know can you divorce your identity from your idea or your system and do you can you maintain a critical constantly evaluative 
perspective on that system because then it won't become tyrannical if you're constantly improving it. I think the other the other trap here is you go, and I've fallen into this trap in business because <laughs> I'm I'm a little bit goal indexed towards goal and achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, is I get like oh I, I want to cross it off my list like I get yeah get it done. It. You had that yeah. And you get to the point where you're like, it's not done. Like definition of <laughs> get into the whole GTD thing. And you're like, there's system systems aren't, they're not a checklist, right? They have to be, I think of them as a living, breathing thing that needs constant care, feeding and nurturing and evaluation. And um, with that feedback loop um, or else it does just, just, it becomes a habit. And as we all know in life, there's good habits and bad habits, right? Yeah. Um, and so is your system a bad habit or is it something that's truly contributing to the betterment of whatever you're, it's intended to do? Yeah. Can you diverse, divorce your ego or your identity from that system such that you can evaluate it critically? Yeah. And so I guess when I think about systems too, they're the level of complexity that is rising um, across the board, whether it's local level or societal level, the systems are just getting so complex that as humans, it's almost like we're, we're, um, we're really struggling to, to navigate that. So what would you say, what would your advice be to on how to navigate the complexity, the ever inc- the seemingly and rea- reality of the ever increasing complexity of the systems that we find ourselves? Yeah. I mean, I've really liked the recent, you know, last few years discussion in sort of this resurgent um, conversation and field of study just around first principles and first principle thinking. And you know, what what are you really trying to solve with that system? Or again, are you doing it out of habit or um, like, why is it there? Right? Yeah. That's the question. And, you know, I think, not to conflate the two, but systems and bureaucracies and systems and independent of the organization from which they're associated, it's an important distinction. Um, but you know, we all watch this sort of in, in government or even universities when we were dealing with, you know, the establishment, uh, when we were just, you know, sort of the the students tend to be the change agent. (laughs) Yeah. And the faculty, staff, and the administration. Some of the faculty are, are friends to the change agents. Some aren't. Yeah. Uh, faculty Senate was a wild time as a 21 year old. Just <laughs> yeah. That. Thankfully, Jill took care of a lot of that for us. But uh, you know, I think you know bureaucracies never shrink. <laughs> yeah. Right. And like they're, it's unnatural. Right. And I, I, every time I get on this way of thinking, Jason, I think of that, um, when in the matrix, their first matrix, when agent Smith's talking to Morpheus about how humans are a virus, um, know how we only know how to grow. Um, I reflect on that. Right. And I reflect on that, um, in many contexts, not only in a business context. Yeah. So what, Final words of wisdom do you have for us? Anything you wanted to share that you didn't get a chance to or? Um, no, I'm happy to share, you know, um, I'm a, as you could probably tell, pretty open, transparent person. I like, um, you know, 
hopefully people get some nuggets out out of this conversation. And again, I thank you for the opportunity. I don't think I'm I'm worthy of the title <laughs> of the podcast, but I'm grateful. Um, but uh, I guess I would just say I'd hope uh, that more people alive today just can begin to think long term about how they live. Right? Just think beyond yourself. Value the collective good. Uh, and just find a way to realize that old, you know, I don't, I don't, there's no good attribution. I actually looked up just trying to figure out where I got this from. I don't know, but that old proverb of that the earth is not given to you by your parents, but you're actually borrowing it from your children. Mm -hmm. uh, and what does that really mean? Borrowing the mm -hmm. earth? Stewardship. Um, and, yeah. and um, I don't know. I would just, maybe have people reflect on that a little bit more and how they can implement that in their lives. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. How can people uh, connect with you, uh, the business? How can they find them online? Yeah. I'm always findable JP at pipelinecrm.com or Twitter, JP Werlin, W-E-R-L-I-N, all one. Um, and just, I answer every email. So uh, my, I uh, will we'll get back to you and happy to, to talk about what's going on with you. Yeah. And then the website for the pipeline is uh, pipelinecrm.com, right? 100%. Awesome. Remember the number finally, 866-202-7303. But, uh, <laughs> call it, give us, give us a call. <laughs> numbers on your homepage. I still find businesses hiding from their customers. I'm like, put it on your homepage. Well, and uh, another thing is I, I think even if a customer. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So. 100%. Cool. cool. Well, thank you. Thank you so much and uh, uh, have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for listening to this episode of Share Life. For additional stories and systems to live better and work smarter, visit jasonscottmontoya.com. That's jasonscottmontoya.com. We look forward to having you listen in on the next episode of Share Life.